The following program is being brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm Rob Moyer of the Ocean River Institute. Welcome to this episode of Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles. With the knowledge of Rachel Carson and the courage of Homer's Achilles, individuals are steadfastly going the distance to defend wildlife and ecosystems from assaults of environmental degradations. Individuals are overcoming obstacles and perceptions, turning forlorn hope into effective actions for oceans, rivers, watersheds, wildlife, and ecosystems. I like the phrase of ocean river that Homer and Rachel Carson use because it speaks to systems thinking. Ocean rivers are overlapping ecosystems, lacking in clear boundaries. They are seamlessly connected. They rise and fall, ebb and flow together. The ways of the otter and the salmon are not restricted to river, estuary, ocean. To them and to the others, the ecosystems are one. If we're to manage better, we must not think in boxes, in bounded spaces. We must recognize how dynamic and changing ecosystems are. We must think systemically, look for interconnections, and expect the unexpected links and unimagined interactions. I invite you to join us today in dialogues to discover how, by listening to individuals, thinking locally through dialogues and acting in concert with others, you can act to save ecosystems and to bring about a greener and bluer planet Earth. With me today are Susan Yokelson and Michael Metlock of Salem Sound Coast Watch. I'll be uh, bringing them on in a minute, but, or in a few minutes. First, I'd like to update you with some duck and paddle notes. Now, I call them duck and paddle notes because on the shield, on our logo, is an image of a paddle, someone handling a paddle, and a duck. And... Um, we're going to have to think of some kind of award to give to whoever can name the species of duck that's portrayed in the picture there. Uh, if you'd like to write to me, or, um, yeah, if you'd like to write to me, my email address is rob at oceanriver.org. And you can also learn more about our work at oceanrivers.org, the website. Uh, duck and paddle notes. So today in the duck and paddle notes, we've got the Blob, the Colorado River, and the Westford River. And first up, um, in the high Arctic Ocean, last night, uh, Rachel Maddow, on her TV show, was again reporting on a giant mass of goo, a dark, thick, and hairy substance that was moving through the Chukai Sea off northwest Alaska, above the Bering Seas there in the Arctic Ocean. 
So I was quite amused by this, and I'm going to return to this um, talk about the blob with Dr. David Wilmot uh, from Ocean Champions, who has a Ph.D. from Scripps, and he'll be at the end of the program and talking about the Ocean Champions section. Second item on the duck and paddle notes are, is the Colorado River. And Secretary of Interior Ken Salazar is calling for a two-year timeout for approximately one million acres of federal lands that are up the Colorado River from the Grand Canyon. During this period of deliberations, Salazar will halt all uranium mining claims. Time out to, quote, to ensure we are developing our nation's resources in a way that protects communities, treasured landscapes, and our watersheds. Salazar noted that the land study will include the measured opinions of the public, members of Congress, tribes, and stakeholders. The Grand Canyon and surrounding area are, quote, home to rare, endemic, specially protected plant and animal species, end quote, as well as citizens, and serves, too, as a valued part of the American landscape. All things vital to our nation that are to be considered in the, on are to be considered in the ongoing study. The Colorado River has emerged as a source of concern because the river has historically been subject to much pollution and mismanagement. This evaluation that's going to be conducted will determine whether the government should withdraw lands from new uranium mining claims for an additional 20 years. Third up on duck and paddle notes is a much older river than the Colorado, and that's the Westfield River that carves down through Massachusetts landscape uh, it's 75 miles long. Uh, it tumbles 1,000 feet down through metamorphic peneplain that was formed over half a billion years ago, known as the Berkshires. And when fish first evolved into salmon, say, 100 million years ago, the Westfield was there, a cold stream river cutting through the granite, granitic basement of ancient mountain. So the Westfield River today is known as essential fish habitat, that's in quotes, for Atlantic salmon under the Magnuson-Stevens Act. And more than $600 million has been spent restoring salmon to this river. But the river is being challenged because Massachusetts is in a rush to build new green energy uh, electric utilities and are calling for six new biomass gener electric generator utilities in the western less inhabited portions of Massachusetts. Now, a biomass generator is better for the environment because instead of burning coal or wood, it burns a coal or oil. It doesn't burn coal or oil. It burns wood. However, unless you're going to close down a coal-burning place when you build a biomass one, it's not clear to me if it's that much better um, for, the, um, for the environment because uh, biomass generators do contribute carbon into the atmosphere, as do all turning, all utilities. The problem is, is they want to build this. The situation is they want to build a electric utility, it'll burn wood next to the Westfield River, and they want to cool the electric generators with water from the river, and we worry that uh, they want to take 880,000 gallons of water a day out of the river to cool the generators because it's cheaper than doing air cooling, and we're concerned that when the river is running lowest in August and September, that that will be stressful to the river ecology. And we're also concerned that they plan to uh, evaporate off 85% of the water. So 
um, only 135 gallons comes back in again per day, and it has got all the ingredients that didn't evaporate mixed in there. Uh, and reportedly, we're picking up some aluminum going through the system, and uh, and it's warmer and hotter. So that this could have a negative impact on the river. And to that extent, the EPA is calling for hearings from citizens to sp- and scientists to speak up about this issue of permitting how to put the effluent back into the river again uh, later in the month. So that's um, what's happening on the Westfield River. Susan Yokelson and uh, Michael Metlock from Salem Sound Coast Watch. Salem Sound was named by Nathaniel Bowditch, uh, the American practical navigator of the late, 18, late 1700s, uh, worked in Sa- lived and worked in Salem. He was the secretary of the East Indian Marine Society of sea- Salem Sea Captains, and it was his job to write down all the navigational observations of the captains from around the world. And he produced charts, or he worked on charts, and put on the chart um, in a portion of Mass Bay uh, Salem Sound. And Salem Sound is embraced by six Massachusetts municipalities, Marblehead, Salem, Peabody, Danvers, Beverly, and Manchester-by-the-Sea. So it's part of Mass Bay, and Mass Bay is separated from the Gulf of Maine by a bank, Stellwagen Bank, that stretches between uh, Provincetown and Gloucester. And then it's part of the Gulf of Maine, which is, it also is a nearly closed sea uh, beside the sea being the Atlantic Ocean. So we have seas within seas within bay within sound, uh, nested ecosystems here. And it's a... It's an area very dear to me. I was fortunate to uh, be curator of natural history at the Peabody Museum for um, close to a decade in, in the 80s. Uh, and, and and so forth. So let me bring on <laughs> Susan. Help me out here. Um, so Susan, how, tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and how is uh, Salem Sound these days? Hi, Rob. Thanks for having us on the show. Um, Salem Sound Coast Watch was originally called Salem Sound 2000 with the hope that perhaps all the work of cleaning up our coastal waters and our rivers and streams could be done by the turn of the century. Uh, But here we are, um, 19 years later, and we're still hard at work, so we changed the name to Salem Sound Coast Watch. And we are a nonprofit watershed protection organization. We do things from a watershed perspective. And we're hard at work trying to protect habitats and keep out marine invaders and keep our beaches and streams clean and healthy. And um, I, I can tell you that we have some urban streams here that haven't always been so clean and healthy. Yeah, we don't think of rivers um, coming into Salem Sound, uh, but you have streams. Well, we have we have several rivers, actually. It's true. We we think of the uh, Massachusetts coastline as being kind of a rocky coastline, and you think of it as being its own entity. But uh, when you look at it from a watershed perspective, which means that um, the water that's upstream and upland flows into the sound and affects the water quality of what's happening in the sound, uh, we do have a number of rivers, including the North River, which is a very old river in Salem, and 
in this whole area was uh, into leatherworking many, many years ago. And the Salem and Peabody, which is up the North River, both had lots of tanneries, and they were all situated along the river. And there's lots of stories. Some of our volunteers tell us about how the river used to run red, green, or blue, depending on what color they were dyeing in the tanneries. At one point, there were 80 tanneries located along the river. And helicopters, it was so disgusting that helicopters would fly over and dump perfume to try to get rid of the nasty smell. I'm happy to say that those days are gone. The river is much cleaner, and the smelt are returning to spawn. The rainbow smelt is an anadromous fish. It lives in the ocean, but it goes upstream to spawn. And um, the state of Massachusetts Division of Marine Fisheries has been monitoring, and we're finding that the smelt are coming back into this habitat. So it's very exciting. Well, that's great. Uh, and then how are the waters in the, in the Salem Harbor itself doing? Well, they're... Oh, that's our break coming up, I guess. I beg your pardon? Uh, we're going to take a short break, okay. and I'll be back with Susan Yokelson uh, after the break. Keep listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures, today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. All together now. All together now. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. So many key world issues today relate to energy and environment. We are living in a time where world events set us up for a major transformation of our society. Enter Dr. Bernie Balkan. Dr. Balkan is Commissioner for Energy and Transport for the Sustainable Development Commission in the UK. Whether it's the financial crisis, China's transformation, the emergence of India, or Obama's ascension, put yourself on the pulse of today's changes. Listen for Environment on the Edge with Dr. Bernie Balkan. 
Tuesdays at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. Keep listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures, today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back. with uh, We're looking at Salem Sound Coast Watch today with Susan Yokelson. And Susan was telling us about how the rivers have had some tough times and there's some really yucky stuff and probably in the bottom of Salem Harbor now as a result of the tanneries and work that went on. Um, uh, but I hear you're having some other uh, issues uh, of salt on uh, your water as well. Yeah, uh, one of the things that we're really watching right now is marine bioinvaders. And these are um, species that come in frequently, usually in the ballast water from the coal barges that come up to the Salem Power Plant. And they bring species that are non-native, so they have no predators locally, and they can really disrupt the ecosystem. So we have volunteers that go out several times a month, and we're looking in rocky tide pools and along floating docks, and we're monitoring what we see, trying to quantify, get a handle on it, so that the authorities can be prepared if anything really starts to overtake and disrupt the ecosystems. I see that um, uh, on the uh, radio website, on the radio page, um, uh, there's Barbara uh, Warren, who uh, is executive director of Salem Sound Coast Watch, and she's not able to be on the radio with us today. Um, I regret that. Um, However, I also see, Susan, instead of your pretty face, this uh, crustacean character. Yeah, that's the Asian shore crab, which is one of the species that we're looking at. It's it's a, a little fellow that uh, came over from Asia and uh, it was first introduced in the area. Uh, the first time it was found on the East Coast was in 1988 and it has become since then very well established and it really runs from North Carolina up to Maine. Um, the thing about it is that one female can produce 50,000 eggs, and she lays her eggs three to four times during the season, which would run from May to September. And native crabs only re- reproduce twice in a season. Wow. So, yeah, and the larvae are free-floating for nearly a month before they become juvenile crabs. So that means they can transport very easily to new areas. And they feed on salt marsh grass and algae and invertebrates and larvae of um, juvenile fishes, so they can really disrupt the recreational and commercial fisheries. If, so that's why we're keeping an eye on them. Yes. And then are you worried about other things coming? 
Well, the biggest thing that we're concerned about, and I call this the terminator of, um, of all species, is the Chinese mitten crab. And that is, uh, it's from the, the Asia, and it was introduced, and it's quite possibly was introduced intentionally on the West Coast because it uh, is a delicacy, actually, in China. And it could have come in in, in uh, barge water as well, in um, ballast water, I mean. So this thing is, it, it lives in fresh water, it spawns in salt water, it can climb over barriers, it burrows into, it, it has a very strong burrowing capacity so it can disrupt banks, it eats everything, it's an omnivore, it eats everything in sight, it can totally disrupt an ecosystem and they're, they're just pulling their hair out in the Sacramento River and it's completely destroyed the the environment of the Sacramento River. So there's alerts out everywhere for it on the East Coast, and it's making its way up the East Coast. It was first seen in 2005, and now it's gone as far. It's in the Chesapeake Bay, it's in the Delaware River, and it has been found in the Hudson River. But that's as far north as it has come. Well, that's getting close. It's getting close, and uh, fishermen are all alerted that if they see it, there's strict procedures as to what to do and who to contact. And we want to try to make sure that any of them that we see are destroyed, are accounted for and destroyed. Well, that would be great. And that's something that people can do is to help you um, destroy those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's great that you're out there looking for what, what could, what's invading the area um, I was fortunate to get to go out with Barbara on looking at the tide pools and seeing all kinds of invasives that I hadn't seen 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. However, I also saw a pair of American oyster catchers whistling along the shore. Clearly, they were breeding. And uh, 15 years ago, you wouldn't find those birds north of Martha's Vineyard or so. And so it's very exciting to see some good news amidst all the, the, the bad news that we have Salem Sound there. Absolutely. Yeah, our uh, waters are definitely getting cleaner, and it's, uh, Salem Sound is, is really a beautiful spot. It's, uh, Marblehead is considered the yachting capital of the world, and we, it's just, we have so many beautiful parks and beaches, and it's a real treasure. And a lot of that is the result of volunteers stepping up and doing things. And what kinds of things do volunteers do today with you? Oh, we have volunteers that go out and take water samples twice a month so that are monitored for um, uh, bacteria because we're trying to find out if there's any disruption in the sewer pipes that would be responsible for, for putting bacteria into our waters. Uh, we have volunteers that go out and do storm drain stenciling because stormwater runoff is one of the biggest threats to the, to the waters of the Sound right now. And we, what we do is we take kids out and we teach them about stormwater runoff and we have them stencil dump no waste drains to ocean. We, we spray paint that on all the storm drains that we can mm. find. And we have volunteers monitoring the marine invasive species. I'm most excited about our program that we're going to roll out soon called Adopt-A-Beach. And for this one, we're getting teams of volunteers who will adopt their local beach. And it's a unique program that has, I haven't found one like it in the United States. They're going to be available year-round. And they're going to go out. We're going to train them on the invasive species, on what to look for for erosion. And they're going to go out and look at their beaches and identify what is affecting their beaches. Is it trash? 
Is it dog waste? Because dog waste is responsible for a lot of the um, bacteria that's in the water. Is, it, uh, is there erosion going on? Are there invasive species moving in and taking over, especially some of the plant species? And they will have an interactive website where they can report the information. They'll take water samples when there's outfall pipes. And so it's a very exciting program that we're going to be doing. That is fabulous. It reminds me of the, the early days when citizens of, of Beverly, Marblehead, and, and Peabody could, um, went down to the water and measured the dissolved oxygen and the salinity and had a secchi disc look at clarity to kind of get the heartbeat of what the natural cycles were for the harbor because that information just wasn't available. And, and uh, it was really neat that the volunteers could come to the Peabody Museum or uh, they would go to the Beverly or Marblehead Police Station and pick up uh, two buckets of equipment and, and go out into the field. And uh, the, the science, we got criticized on the science, but they were the eyes. And if something was wrong, they uh, could alert us, and then the scientists could come check it out. Uh, yeah. There was a very alarmed group of volunteers one day, the day after uh, the 4th of July, when they could find very little oxygen in Marblehead Harbor. Mm. Um, and I think that was, I had to assure them that that was probably related to the nutrient loading that happened during the fireworks uh, from all the yachts and stuff that were out there in the harbor. Yeah. Um, it's great that you uh, continue to find ways to keep people involved. Well, the volunteers are, we are the eyes and ears, and we really collect a lot of great information that gets reported back. And so it's very exciting what all of our volunteers are doing. Well, thank you. Um, we have about three minutes, and then we're going to take a break. Uh, so so um, uh, we're going to come back and talk about um, uh, uh, the project that's happening on Saturday. Oh, there's the music. Yeah, so we'll be back to talk about the race for Salem Sound after this break. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. 
Have questions about wind power? Listen for the TLG Wind Power Hour with Terry from TLG Wind Power Products. He'll cover the ins and outs of wind energy with you, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or want a ready-made product. Let Terry give you the know-how and understanding of making wind energy work for you. Terry will share decades of hands-on experience so that you don't have to learn about wind power the hard way. The TLG Wind Power Hour, live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. For listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. And now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're back. We're talking Salem Sound Coast Watch. And if you'd like to learn more about the good work of the Salem Sound Coast Watch, uh, you can visit them on their website, which is www.salemsound.org. Salem Sound is one word. And uh, you can also uh, get Susan's email address there uh, and carry on the conversation with her or direct questions to the executive director, Barbara Warren. Uh, with me as well as with, with us today, in addition to Susan, is Michael Medlock, who is a volunteer of Salem Sound Coast Watch. Michael is a, has a full-time, busy uh, you know, career in Salem and uh, manages to find time to help out um, Salem Sound Coast Watch. Michael, thanks for joining us. What, what are you You're up very to these much. days? It's good to be here. What are you up to these days? Well, we're getting ready for our fourth annual Salem Sound uh, race for the Sound. It's called the Swim and Fin, and uh, we're going to have a swim race and a kayak race. And we're trying to generate some excitement in the community about getting out here and enjoying the uh, enjoying the resource. This, I think, a lot of um, uh, you know, a lot of what we have to do is is cleaning up things, and and uh, cleaning up things sometimes isn't all that exciting. But once you get it cleaned up, you can have some fun in it, and uh, that's how we're trying to generate some enthusiasm and uh, and raise some money. You've done this for a number of years. Right, right. It started small about four years ago, and it was just a swim then. We added the kayak race last year. But the, you know, the response to the small effort that uh, we put in the first year was, was enormous, and there were a lot of people who said, uh, this, is a, this is an idea that can grow. And there have been a lot more people that have got involved. We've gotten uh, a lot more support from the business community, uh, and it's, uh, it's turned out really well. Yeah, I, I urge people to visit the website, uh, 
salemsound.org because you've got lots of photographs up there of, uh, and also links you to the, the race website where there are lots of photographs. It's just remarkable seeing all these people jumping into the water and, you know, the paddlers heading all the way out from Forest River to um, Winter Island and back again. And uh, to see them paddling in an urban landscape, um, it's like being on the coast of Maine, except there's this other stuff on the shoreline. Most shocking is it's a huge coal pile that's right there next to the waterfront that's in your photographs. Um, Susan, it must be quite an effort getting people together. How's that going? It's going well. We're having a terrific response to the swim. We're very excited. This year we are offering um, cash prizes for our top finishers and um, also for the, within, for the swim and for the paddle, the canoe and kayak race. And it looks like the weather is going to be good. We have uh, wonderful corporate support. I'm very pleased to announce that the Ocean River Institute is one of our sponsors. Thank you very much, Rob. You're and welcome. We, uh, we have one of the best seafood restaurants in the state is donating clam chowder for all the participants. So it is an absolutely fabulous reason to spend the day in Salem. Salem is a great town. It's a great place to come and visit. We ask everybody to come on down. And the website for the race is uh, www.swimandfin.org. That's S-W-I-M-A-N-D-F-I-N.org. And it's also available, can be connected to from salemsound.org. Yes, absolutely. And it is happening this Saturday, July 25th. Yep, that's correct. Uh, Michael, uh, what else are you doing besides, um, what do you do as a volunteer besides uh, this event? Uh, Pardon me? What what do volunteers do, what do you like doing as a volunteer uh, for Salem Sound in addition to this race event? Well, we ask volunteers to help us with the uh, with the monitoring. Uh, we use mon- We use uh, uh, we have a, a program where we paint uh, uh, paint around drains to remind people that everything that goes into the drain goes straight into the waters, and uh, that's where we'll see it. Some people think that when you drop something down uh, a, a grate by the by the uh, uh, by the street. You, it's going to some kind of sewage treatment, but in fact, uh, your dog's, uh, your dog's uh, uh, leftovers are going to wind up straight in the water. They go straight into the water, and so oh dear, those volunteers help us out in, in uh, making people aware of that. Yeah, it's really important because when you don't see the ocean, it's hard to believe that it's connected to the land. And yet, as Susan was telling me earlier, you know, you've got these parking lots. Uh, quite a distance from the water, and yet when the rain washes over those lots, um, yeah. things start to happen. Susan, what happens? Or tell us, fill us in here. Yeah, this is a really serious problem. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on the streets that people don't know about. There's um, toxic chemicals that come out of cars, a- antifreeze, the rubber comes off your tires, uh, asbestos and whatever they're lining brakes with comes off the brakes. and. So there's all kinds of things on the street, particulate matter that falls out of the air. Um, acids, you know, from acid rain falls down out of the air. And uh, as Michael mentioned, pet wastes that land on the grass, uh, pesticides and fertilizers and uh, herbicides that you put on your gardens and your grass. So when it rains, the rain hits these impervious surfaces and it just rushes down to the nearest storm drain, picks up all that stuff. It's called the first flush. And oh, no. 
the first 30 minutes of a rainstorm is just toxic soup going into our waters is what it amounts to. And uh, most people don't realize that, that the storm drains, they call them sewers, and they're not sewers. They're storm drains. And they're going right out into the nearest water body, if that's a river, if that's a lake, a pond, an ocean, whatever it's, it is. It's a lot easier to generate interest in, in what some people can see and smell. You mentioned the colors in the North River. Uh, we had raw waste out uh, not too far off our shore before uh, they put the outfall for the sewage treatment plant in Sam uh, several miles out. And so, uh, you know, and even, you know, the bottom of the, uh, the bottom of the sound here, people, they don't see it. Uh, it's not a part of their lives. And so if it's a, if it's a garbage can that uh, people can't see, and so we have to make them aware that uh, we, we have to live with the consequences of what drifts to the bottom for a long, long time. Wow, you have a lot of assaults hitting Salem Sound from non-point sources flushing into the harbor to invasive species to um, uh, what else? Or well, we have we have very productive shellfish beds in Salem oh, good. Sound. However, they cannot be harvested because they're contaminated. So that's our next assault. Is we want to really try to figure out a way to make these shellfish beds product. Um, well, they are productive, but we want to make them so that they're uh, that humans can eat them. I mean, we have clams and mussels and all kinds of things. Yeah, I do like eating clams. Yeah, well, you don't want to eat these, <laughs> but you won't. <laughs> Luckily, we have a good system in Massachusetts that pr- protects me. I've never gotten sick from the clams. No, that's absolutely right. <laughs> I buy them in restaurants. I patronize the restaurants instead yeah. of digging my own. That's the first trick. But what I want to say is that even though we have lots of threats and assaults and so forth, uh, so much has been done that that's why we can have our swim and fin race for Salem Sound because things are really, really getting better. And in the 19 years of our existence, and we're getting ready to celebrate our 20th year, uh, there's been a there's a big difference, and it's it's very rewarding for everybody who's been involved. That is an excellent point. It's it, it's so significant when you Salem has a few tourists that come into Salem. It's a it's a pretty well known town. Just a few. And you know when you sit down for a seafood dinner, uh, it's so good to see that the waters outside the window don't look you know, dirty, that uh, there's an active waterfront with uh, people um, actively boating, and, and you probably don't see swimmers that often, but you do see uh, really small boats going around and stuff. Yes, and, and one of our biggest, most recent successes is we were able to get the U.S. EPA to designate Salem Sound as a no-discharge area for marine sewage. And that took a lot of work. You had to set up, you know, places for people to to discharge their boats and, and, you know, uh, toilets along the shore or something. Yes, we had to make sure there were plenty of pump-out stations and pump-out boats, and we worked with all the harbor masters in our watershed area and some of the yacht clubs, and we were just sort of exploring to see if to start setting the stage for doing this, and they all said, no, let's go for it. That's we great. We applied to the EPA and, and got it passed, so now our job is just to make sure people realize this is the case and publicize the pump-out facilities. You have so many boats coming through. That's really important. Uh, one one rower that I've been watching and we've been watching is Roz Savage is rowing across the uh, Pacific Ocean by herself, and uh, she's coming to uh, to to support Salem Sound Coast Watch on October sixteenth. And I I was explain I was talking about this with this about this with Michael, and. Um, Michael, you found us a fabulous venue for this. Tell us a bit about 
where we're going to be able to hear Roz talk. Well, as, uh, as Susan said, Marblehead is a very well-known yachting community, and there's a lot of community leaders there. And uh, we we're actually started by a group of community leaders and we're trying to get them involved and to get their support again and to get the, uh, the support of, uh, of the mayor and the major businesses in the area. And so this uh, yacht club is very well known, Eastern Yacht Club. Uh, it's on Marblehead's Neck. Uh, it's in an affluent area. And uh, people who have a common interest, uh, who, who want to see clean waters to sail in. So we're very excited about the about uh, presenting a world class rower, uh, as well as our message that uh, we uh, we have a lot to do to clean up the sound. I'd like to mention one of the other uh, victories we've had is that we've been managing the restoration of a salt marsh up by a local college, and they're going to be taking out a couple of tennis courts and uh, making it uh, a, a natural resource as opposed to a sometime tennis court. So we we measure those. That's a it's a long uh, it's, it takes a long, many years to get something like this done, but it's a, it's a big victory to reclaim land like that. Good news indeed. It has really been a pleasure talking with you and learning about what's happening today in Salem Sound. Uh, you know, I first came to the area back in 1980 when uh, it was uh, Jim Santorino of Salem State and um, Cindy Pollack from the National Park Service brought the National Marine Educators Association to town. And to see the distance that you guys have traveled is just phenomenal. I want to thank you very much, Michael and Susan, for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk to others about what we're doing. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together now. All together now. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. 
Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Can we recognize our world not as a commodity, but as a sacred creation that will support us best the more creatively we live on it? Green Visions is all about how a spirit of innovation and pleasure can be brought into solving our environmental problems. Join your host, Carolyn North, each week as she talks about what citizens of the world are doing to make a difference. Heal the planet, heal yourself, and have a good time doing it. Tune in to Green Visions with Carolyn North every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. The Green Talk Network is here. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're back, and it's time for our Ocean Champions moment. David Wilmot is uh, Executive Director of Ocean Champions, and he's on the line with me. Uh, you can continue the conversation with Dave by uh, emailing him at www.oceanchampions.org, or that's the website, and you can write to him at dave at oceanchampions.org. Uh, Dave, it's good to have you here. I've been um, getting my science news from the Rachel Maddow Show, and um, she has been reporting a couple times about this blob that is high in the Arctic Ocean in the Chutkai Sea. She's reporting this giant mass of goo, a dark and thick and hairy substance that's moving through the sea. Uh, have you heard about this? And can you enlighten us in any way about what's going on? I, I have indeed. It sounds like it's the latest script out of Hollywood for a, for a science fiction <laughs> movie, but in, in fact, it, it's actually happening. Um, at first, they thought this might be from an oil spill of some sort, uh, but it turns out it is a massive bloom of algae. Uh, at this point, uh, I don't believe much is known about what type of algae it is. Um, is, it, is it toxic or dangerous? Um, but that's what we have going, going on here. And uh, I, I thought it was a perfect lead-in today because this is an issue that is impacting coasts uh, all along the west and east coast of America. Algal blooms are common along our coastlines, not big blobs like we're seeing in Alaska, but some of these blooms that occur, some of the strains are actually toxic and harmful, uh, harmful to humans but also to wildlife in the oceans, fish, marine mammals, and seabirds. Um, and so what we're seeing is what we call toxic tides. Some people hear red tides, harmful algal blooms. Uh, while naturally occurring, they're increasing in intensity and frequency, and there's growing evidence that, no surprise, uh, humans and human impacts are actually causing these blooms. 
Yeah, we were talking earlier about Salem Sound Coast Watch, and I was sharing my love of clams that I like to eat. And we have this problem here in New England where we will get uh, a red tide that makes makes them close down the uh, the clam flats, and uh, we have to truck in our clams from further away, and it's a real pain. As a matter of fact, there is a huge red tide uh, that is going on right now off the coast of Maine. Uh, Senator Snow has uh, been asking for emergency money from NOAA to try to deal with this. But you're right. This is something that was much less frequent a decade ago that is happening now almost every summer off of Massachusetts and Maine are these severe red tides. And in some cases, they do indeed prevent us from being able to eat the shellfish because the shellfish are filtering these algae and the toxins are therefore in the shellfish if we were to eat them. It could actually uh, kill us. But the poison doesn't bioaccumulate in the shellfish. But, but it's at levels that can be very problematic for humans. And, and what's interesting with some of these tides is you don't even have to come near them. Uh, the, on the west coast of Florida, for example, red tides are, are also becoming more frequent. And when there's a big bloom, there is a, a, uh, a rush on visits to the emergency room where people are having respiratory problems. So oh people goodness. who suffer from asthma and breathing problems, it's intensified um, just from what is released into the atmosphere from, from these blooms. But how can they open the clam flats again? Do they have to, like, get new clams? Well, the, the blooms are, are short-lived, and so what can happen is if a bloom lasts for a month or two, once it ends, it then does filter through the clams and they're healthy again. Uh, it just takes some period of time for the, the animals to, to basically filter out all the, the toxic organisms that are in them. But this impact is incredible. I mean, when we look at the numbers, it's just staggering. It's over $80 million a year that's direct impact on the economy. Uh, that's with seafood. That can be with tourism. Uh, big numbers. And uh, one of the reasons that Ocean Champions is working so hard with, uh, with our leaders on, the, on Capitol Hill to pass legislation that will begin to address this problem. That's really needed. Uh, one of the problems we're having here is, or we see in a lot of places, is nutrients being washed into the into the ocean. Uh, do you think that's it, it, might that help if we could cut back on the nutrients that are flushing into the ocean? There Would, are a uh, number of, of causes or? for these blooms, but one of the principal causes, indeed, is the runoff of nutrients. So you find that in the past, these blooms were limited because there simply weren't enough nutrients to, to support these ridiculously thick and large blooms. Uh, now, with nutrients running off from agriculture, from wastewater treatment, et cetera, um, we do indeed see the linkages there. Uh, also, there's climate change impacts. Um, at, at this point, uh, most of the researchers who I talk to believe that there is a link the data aren't there to show that link as clearly as scientists would like to see, but they believe that that is indeed, we're already seeing the first signals where climate change is part of the cause here. That could be increasing, uh, you know, warmer water. Um, it could be changes in nutrient circulation, et cetera. Yeah, we, we locally, without scientific evidence or scientific affirmation, you know, witnessed a heavy rainfall in, in May followed by, you know, huge rivers flows out, and it happened to hit 
the uh, Gulf of Maine just when the little dinoflagellates were ready to bloom and stuff, and it seemed like that that inordinate amount of, of flushing, that particular bloom might have been related to that particular uh, storm, which we're having more of. But there's so many factors. I guess you got to time right. You know, the, the storm has to happen when the critters that that drive the bloom are ready to do their blooming their blooming thing. Well, it, it is fascinating how many of these events have never been seen before. The blob in Alaska, uh, interviewing the uh, native Alaskans on the northern part there, they've never seen anything quite like this. Uh, we, had a, we had a die-off. Hundreds of birds in late 2007 were washing up on the shores in Monterey, uh, and it turns out it was a late-season red tide, um, and it happened right at the time that thousands of tired, hungry, migrating birds were coming through the bay. Well, the organisms didn't release a toxin. They released a soap-like substance, and it washed off the waterproofing from the bird's feathers. Oh, my And the gosh. birds died of hypothermia. We'd never seen anything like that before in the bay. So we've and, just got a few minutes left. Uh, what's Ocean Champion doing on the Hill about helping us protect us from algae blooms? We're working with leaders in the Senate and the House to pass legislation that will not only do additional, provide money for research on red tide, to start to get at some of the root problems and to mitigate this problem. The bill has been introduced in the Senate by Senators Snow and Nelson from Maine and Florida, uh, and we're getting close to having it introduced in the House. As a matter of fact, the, the Ocean Champions team is, uh, is meeting with the chairman of the subcommittee this morning who will be introducing that bill, and he's told us that he absolutely wants to champion this. So we will have uh, both houses with bills introduced by the fall, and we expect to, uh, we're working to get this passed this year. Very important legislation provides important. And unlike some environmental legislation, this is bipartisan. This is very, it's a, it's a really excellent point. In both the House and the Senate, it's introduced by Republicans and Democrats, and we have uh, co-sponsors in the Senate. We have, at this point, over a dozen co-sponsors with four or five uh, already Republicans on. Not a partisan issue. It's really nice to see, and one of the reasons that we're going to be able to get this across the finish line with, uh, with a lot of work and, and help from uh, people around the country. Well, that's it for this episode. Dave, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Rob. Next week, Dave Helvog is going to join us and talk about Blue Visions. See you then. Until then, for Healthy Oceans, it's Rob Moyer saying see you later. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. We'll talk again then. Rock me.